0: So this morning we are going to um, continue on in our series that we started last week. We started a a series that's going to take us through Easter called From Death to Life. And looking at Jesus' life from His birth all the way through His crucifixion and then His resurrection and His ascension into heaven in the beginning of Acts. And we're going to be looking at that over the next few weeks. But this morning we're going to focus on some of the miracles that Jesus performed in His life as well as some of the temptations that Jesus dealt with in His life. So, looking at temptations as well as miracles that Jesus performed in faith during His time on earth. But maybe you weren't here last week or even if you were, I just want to give a little recap of what we talked about last week. Uh, we talked about Jesus' birth and, and a few of the childhood stories that Scripture tells us from, from Jesus' younger years on earth. But we shared, right, of how Jesus was going to be born to a virgin Mary who nearly lost Joseph, who was uh, going to be her husband, right? He was lined up to be her husband, and all of a sudden she was pregnant. And then Joseph and Mary, they kind of had this situation on their hands. But thankfully, the Holy Spirit or an angel came to Joseph in a dream and let him know what was going on. The angel had told Mary what was going to happen, and now an angel told Joseph what was happening. And they, and they navigated through that and realized, wait, if this is of God, we're going to continue to pursue this. We're not going to, we're not going to separate um, at this time. Because according to the customs of that day, Joseph could have just left Mary, and there wouldn't have been any issues with that at all. But they worked through it together. They trusted God and they trusted the the angel and the Holy Spirit as the Holy Spirit spoke to them. And then we looked at the two stories from Jesus' childhood. First of all, when he was brought to the temple and presented before Simeon. As part of the old Mosaic Covenant as a child, you would bring them into the temple and you'd you'd present them before a priest and they would offer them up. and, And basically today similar to what we do with our baby dedication, where we bring in a child and, and we dedicate that child to the Lord. and we, As parents, we ask them to dedicate themselves to raise their child up in a godly home and godly manner. And, and as a church, we ask that as witnesses, you guys would be there to help encourage and raise up this child in a godly manner. But what was different about this situation was Simeon had been told by the Holy Spirit that he was going to see the Messiah before his time on earth was done. And all of a sudden, Simeon was in the temple one day, and Mary and Joseph brought Jesus in as a young child to be presented, and Simeon saw him and immediately went, that's the Messiah. That's the one the Holy Spirit told me I was going to see before my time on earth was done. And he talked about how not only was Jesus coming as our Messiah, it was to the Gentiles as well as to the beloved people of Israel. And the second story we looked at was when Jesus was left in Jerusalem after the Passover, Mary and Joseph and, and their family, as good Jewish family, every year they would go to Jerusalem for the Passover. And this time when they left, they actually forgot Jesus in the temple. Because when they traveled, it wasn't just Mary and Joseph and Jesus. It was your whole large extended family. So think of your aunts and your uncles and your cousins. You know, kind of everybody caravanning together. And so, you know, it could be easy to maybe potentially lose a, a, a child or something in the midst of that. And that's what happened. They left Jesus. And for three days, Jesus sat in the temple with the teachers and the scholars. And he talked to them. And he had conversation with them. And... and Finally, you know, Mary and Joseph realize he's gone and they come back and they find him. And Mary said, Well, Jesus, you know, what were you doing? Where were you? And Jesus simply said to his mom, What do you mean, Mom? I was in my father's house. I was where I was supposed to be, in my father's house taking care of business. I was learning. I, I was I was influencing other people. And as a result, it said that he grew in favor of, with both man and God. We talked about how Jesus' childhood experiences set him up and, and prepared him for the things that were to come in, in his ministry and the things that were to come, what God was calling him to do. And I compared that to our lives. And we look at our childhood and we look at our past experiences, we say, you know what? All of those things molded me into who I am today. God was molding me, He was guiding me, He was directing me. I, I went through these experiences so I could learn the different things I needed to learn, so I could be prepared to do what God was eventually calling me to do. And I think that's the challenge for us today, is to not become frustrated, to not become bitter, to not become discontent in the seasons that we go through in life. Because there's a chance that what you're going through that season... And God is going to redeem that season for His glory, for His honor, and to help in different ways for what He's still trying to do in your life and the plans He has for you. In the next couple weeks, we're going to look at a night in the garden, the night when Jesus was arrested. We're going to look at His crucifixion in the tomb, and eventually we'll, we'll, we'll finish off with His resurrection and ascension. But as I said this morning, we're going to look at some of the temptations and miracles that Jesus faced and performed in his life. And we're going to start with temptations. Right? So we think about Jesus, our, our, our Messiah, our King of Kings, our Lord of Lords. And we often forget that Jesus faced temptations just like you and I do. Why? Because he was human just like you and I are. Yes, he was fully God, but he was fully human at the same time. And so we're going to look at some of the temptations that he dealt with. We're going to look at Luke chapter 4. will be the first um, passage that we're going to be looking at when it comes to the temptations that Jesus faced. We're also going to reference Matthew has an account of this temptation as well that Jesus had with Satan in the wilderness. But just to give you a little context so this is right after Jesus was just baptized by John the Baptist, his cousin, right? Jesus is, is baptized, and, and this is one of the times in Scripture where we see God the Father, Jesus the Son, and the Holy Spirit all at the same time, right? When, when Jesus is, is baptized, um, the Holy Spirit comes down in the form of a dove, and God speaks uh, out in, a, in an audible voice, and all three parts of the Trinity are there at one time. And so this comes right on the heels of that, right on the heels of being baptized, and Jesus is now led by the Spirit to go out into the wilderness where the devil begins to tempt Him. So starting in Luke 4 with verse 1, it says, "...Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, left the Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness, where for forty days He was tempted by the devil. He ate nothing during those days, and at the end of them He was hungry." The devil said to him, If you are the Son of God, tell this stone to become bread. Jesus answered, It is written, Man shall not live on bread alone. The devil led him up to a high place and showed him in an instant all the kingdoms of the world. And he said to him, I will give you all all their authority and splendor. It has been given to me, and I can give it to anyone that I want to. If you worship me, it will all be yours. Jesus answered him, It is written, Worship the Lord your God and serve Him only. Continuing on, says, The devil led him to Jerusalem and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you are the Son of God, he said the devil, throw yourself down from here, for it is written, He will command his angels concerning you to guard you carefully. They will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against the stone. Jesus answered him again, It is said, Do not put your Lord your God to the test. When the devil had finished all all this tempting, he left him until an opportune time. Right? So we we read through this passage. The first thing I want to point out is not only was Jesus being tempted for 40 days by Satan, It said that he also didn't eat for 40 days so he was being tempted for 40 days and he hadn't eaten for 40 days during this time. He sa- and, and the Satan, you know, the devil is trying to get him to to tempt him and he's going, "Well, you know I know you're hungry. You know why if you're the Messiah, why don't you turn that rock into a piece of bread? Then you can have something to eat." You know, but Jesus refuses to do so, stating that man shall not live on bread alone. In Matthew's account, it also adds Jesus replying in Matthew 4.4, 4, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God, that we are to feed on every word that comes from the mouth of God. That's our source of substance. Our source of strength is God and His Word. He's our supplier and our provider. And Jesus continues to emphasize the importance of what God has to say. Right? If we keep moving on in that passage, we see next that the devil tries to tempt Jesus by bringing Him to a high point where he can see all the kingdoms of the world. Right? He can see all the kingdoms. And the devil tries to tempt Him by saying, hey, if you choose to worship Me, I'll give you dominion and authority over all of these nations, over all these kingdoms, because I have the authority to do so. So I can give the authority to whoever I choose to do so. And I, just, I think about that and I can almost imagine Jesus at this point probably almost laughing at the devil and thinking, I know whose land this is. I know whose kingdoms these are. I know who created the earth and everything that's in it. I know the one who has authority and dominion over all the earth. And I know that it's definitely not yours. But in his actual response, as Jesus did three times in the Scripture, he turns back to another verse in Scripture. And Jesus says, Actually, it is written, Worship the Lord your God and serve Him only. So all three times that Satan tried to tempt Jesus, Jesus used Scripture and said, Actually, this is what God's Word says. It is written, that you are to worship the Lord your God and serve Him only. Right? And the final temptation in this passage is we find that the devil tried uh, to use against Jesus was he brought Him up to the high point in the temple in Jerusalem. And he said, if you truly are the Savior, the Messiah, then why don't you jump off the top of this temple because Scripture says that, that the angel will come and rescue you because there is no harm that is to come to you. Right? The angels will catch you before you hit the stones. And as I said earlier, I think there's a lot we can learn from Jesus' response to the temptations that the devil gives us. Because he responds with Scripture. He responds with God's Word. Right. So I think when you and I are tempted, that's why it's important that we know God's Word. It's important that we understand what His Word says. When we're tempted and we're faced with, with challenges, we can say, Actually, God's Word says this. And I stand upon the truth. You know, God's Word says that I am not to test Him as Jesus responded in this situation. That it is also written, do not put your Lord, your God, to the test. So if we we just think about this for a moment. If there's anyone who's ever walked on this earth that could possibly get away with testing God... The logical answer would probably be Jesus, right? He's the Son of God. If someone was going to test Him, it would make sense that it could be Jesus. But Jesus said, no, I respect God, I honor God. He's my Father and I know what He has taught and that is that no one is to test God. He lived a sinless, pure life. So if Jesus knew well enough to withstand temptation and tell us not to test God then I think we should take His Word for it and apply that in our lives today. So practically speaking, maybe the next time you face a temptation or a trial, instead of testing God to see if just giving into the temptation, if He'll help you through it, maybe you should stand up to the temptation and say, I'm not going to give in this time because God's Word says that I'm not to test Him. God's Word says that I am to worship and serve Him Oh, God's Word leads me and directs me and I know what to do in response to God's Word. It's no mistake that every single time Jesus is tempted by the devil that He responds with Scripture. He doesn't make up a response. He doesn't, he doesn't say something that sounds really intelligent or really trying to convince Him. He uses a simple truth of God's Word because we know God's Word is infallible. It's inerrant. There's no error. There's no mistakes in God's Word and God's Scripture. It's 100% true. And so we can never go wrong when we respond in Scripture. He quotes Scripture and law that was taught in the Old Testament. Jesus says that I think we should follow His example and learn how to also use Scripture to fight against temptations that we may face in our lives. Moving on from the temptations that Jesus faced. And as I said, in Matthew 4, you can find that same account of Jesus um, being tempted by the devil in the wilderness. But now we're going to look at some of the miracles that Jesus performed during His lifetime. And we don't have enough time this morning to look at every sign and wonder and miracle that Jesus performed during His ministry. But we're going to look again at Matthew and Luke. We're going to actually read the same story from Matthew and Luke. And we're going to look at some of the differences in how they accounted them. Because if you know, you read through the Gospels, many things are are listed or they're accounted in multiple Gospels. Maybe they're recorded in Matthew and Luke or Matthew and John. or There's a few things that are recorded in all four of the Gospels. And that's just because there were four different men that accounted the experiences and, and the things that they went through with Jesus, and so we're going to look at the same story from both Matthew and Luke, and break that down a little bit. We're going to start in Matthew chapter 4, verse 23. It said Jesus went throughout Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom, and healing every disease and sickness among the people. News about him spread all over Syria, and people brought to him all who were ill and with various diseases. Those suffering severe pain, the demon possessed, those having seizures, and the paralyzed, and he healed them. Large crowds from Galilee, the Decapolis, Jerusalem, Judea, and the region across the Jordan followed him. Right. So we've listened to a passage here from Matthew chapter four, and it sounds like a recap of a bunch of events. Right. It's kind of basically saying that that Jesus was. Uh, Going through Galilee and and teaching and proclaiming the good news. And there were healings that were happening. So people were gathering from all over the place, coming to hear and see Jesus and bring those who needed to be healed and, and touched during this time. And it talks about a long list of things that Jesus did over a period of time in only three verses. Right? So this didn't all happen in one day, this didn't happen in one setting. But Matthew takes it and he puts all of this into three verses. If we were to read uh, all of the verses from the Gospel of Luke pertaining to these stories that were mentioned and Matthew's recap here, you would have to read multiple chapters of the book of Luke. So Luke expands upon it a lot more compared to what Matthew shared. Matthew was more of a recap where Luke shared more detail about some of the individual events that went on. So, who here can tell you what was Luke's profession before he became a disciple or a follower of Jesus? What, what? What? Physician. Physician, right? He was a doctor or a physician in that time. So, you can understand then when you realize that as a doctor or physician, why he would have gone into a lot greater detail in his writing, why he would have shared a lot more. Because, you know, doctors, physicians, they're very detail oriented people. They're very knowledgeable people, but they're used to writing down everything. Even in that day and age, they were used to, to keeping track of, of everything that was going on. And so he went into much greater detail about the miracles Jesus performed, and especially when it came to those that dealt with healing. And so to give you an example of the depth that Luke would go into when he would share stories about Jesus' healing, we're going to look at Luke chapter 4, verses 38-41 through that talks about how Jesus healed a woman along with a few others. It says, "...Jesus left the synagogue and went to the home of Simon. Now Simon's mother-in-law was suffering from a high fever, and they asked Jesus to help her. So he bent over her and rebuked the fever, and it left her. She got up at once and began to wait on him. At sunset the people brought to Jesus all who had various kinds of sickness. And laying his hands on each one, he healed them. Moreover, demons came out of many people shouting, You are the Son of God. But he rebuked them and would not allow them to speak because they knew he was the Messiah. Right? So we we looked at Matthew 4 and he has three verses that recap all kinds of experiences like this one we just read about in Luke chapter 4 about Jesus healing Simon's mother-in-law as well as then healing all those who came that night and dealing with the demons that came out of them. But you can you look at these two passages and they're similar in length. They're both three verses long when you look at these passages. But Luke has much more detail and it covers much less than what Matthew covered in his account of it. Luke talks uh, again of how Simon's mother-in-law was suffering from fever and asked Jesus to help. But it doesn't just say that Jesus healed her. It even explains says he bent over her and he rebuked the fever. You know, it explains how Jesus performed the miracle, how he healed her and what he did in order for her to be healed. And I, I share this because I think it's important that we notice the different writing styles between Matthew and Luke. Because all of the authors, the different men who wrote and, and women who wrote the books of the Bible, yes, they were all inspired by the Holy Spirit to read, but they wrote in their own style. They wrote in a way that, that reflected who they were. You know, and that's why Matthew's account looks different than Luke's account does here. And for some of you, maybe that's been confusing. Maybe you read through the gospels and you're like, why is the same story in here more than once? But it sounds a little different, or the details. One has details, another one doesn't. and that's just because of the account and the way that the author chose to record the scripture in that book. So many times it seems like we think, "Oh, the Bible is all the same, and it's just uh, you know boring stories and facts, but each author, their different style is reflected in the way that they share their stories. Some are very detailed, where you think of King David, and many of his are very poetic. You know, so if if you like poems and that kind of stuff, Psalms and Proverbs and many of those books, you would really enjoy reading because that's the writing style of a lot of those books in that time. Let's take a moment now and let's look at Jesus' first recorded miracle in Scripture, as He turns water into wine in Cana. We're going to look at it from John chapter two, starting with verse one of John two. It says, "On the third day." a wedding took place at Cana in Galilee. Jesus' mother was there, and Jesus and his disciples had also been invited to the wedding. When the wine was gone, Jesus' mother said to him, They have no more wine. Woman, why do you involve me? Jesus replied, My hour has not yet come. His mother said to the servants, Do whatever he tells you. Nearby stood six stone water jars, the kind used by the Jews for ceremonial washing, each holding from 20 to 30 gallons. Jesus said to the servants, Fill the jars with water. So they filled them to the brim. Then he told them, Now draw some out and take it to the master of the banquet. They did so, and the master of the banquet tasted the water that had been turned into wine. Continuing on, he said, He he did not realize where it had come from, though the servants who had drawn the water knew. Then he called the bridegroom aside and said, Everyone brings out the choice wine first, and then the cheaper wine after the guests have had too much to drink. But you have saved the best till now. What Jesus did here in Cana of Galilee was the first of the signs through which he revealed his glory and his disciples believed in him. Right? So we have, first off, to give you a cultural context in that day and in that age, they celebrated weddings a whole lot different than we do today, right? Ours is, it's a, it's a a one day ordeal, and everyone comes together, and you have the wedding ceremony, and you have a reception, and and then you know the, the couple goes off on a honeymoon or gets away or whatever, and everyone else just kind of goes back, and you know it's it's a wonderful time of, of with friends and family, but it's a relatively quick thing in our world today. For them and their culture, it was done very differently. Their, their weddings, they were festivals. They would last for days. And so as it's said in Scripture here, we find this wedding is already in their third day. And at this point, they've run on a wine. it says. So Jesus' mother is like, Hey, Jesus, like you're the Son of God. Um, you know, why don't you do something about this, about the situation that's going on right now? And Jesus responds instantly, but He doesn't say, Mom. He says, Woman, why do you involve me in this? For my time has not yet come to begin doing miraculous signs and wonders. So Jesus, He knows there's a day and a time where there's going to be miracles and signs and wonders that are going to come through Him and that God's going to perform through Him. But He's thinking, Well, I'm not there yet. It's not, that time hasn't come yet. But then all of a sudden, I don't know if it, you know, the Spirit just impressed it upon him. doesn't say, but then it says Jesus all of a sudden said, or the woman said, do whatever he says. Right? He tells the servants, do whatever this man says. And so then Jesus tells the servants, he sees the jars sitting there and he says, go fill these jars with water and then bring them over to the master of the ceremony. Right? The person who is in charge of all the festivities that are involved with this wedding. So why did Jesus choose to move in this way at a wedding, right? The master of the ceremony gets the water. He realizes it's been turned into fine wine, quality wine. So why did Jesus choose to move in this way at the wedding? Well, the time had come for him to start revealing his glory to those around him, including his disciples. The time had come for his his public ministry to begin happening and what better way for you to build trust and, and to begin your ministry than some miraculous act of God by performing a work and a wonder that everyone would see and know about. The time had come for Him to start revealing who He was, right? And we know, you may think, why did Jesus even create wine? You know, we, we, don't, we don't believe in drinking and we don't, we don't support that kind of stuff as part of the Assemblies of God's Denomination. Well, if you look culturally, wine to them was, was barely fermented grape juice, right? Where to us, it's a very fermented process, and, and as the longer grapes and everything ferment, the more alcoholic it becomes. For them, basically, that was just their way of making sure that their grape juice, that actually helped get a lot of sickness and, and illness, and it basically was a way for them... You know, they couldn't boil water and that, or easily, that kind of stuff. And so this was the way that they basically purified their grapes was by allowing them to ferment. And so, you know, when it speaks of wine in Scripture, it's a very different thing than what we talk about today when we refer uh, to wine and alcohol. But it said that this was one of the events that really began to draw people's awareness to Jesus and who He was. This was the start of the next three to four years of public ministry that was going to come in Jesus' life. So kind of getting back to where we started this morning with the temptations, right? We know Jesus, as we said, was fully God, but yet fully man. And as He walked on this earth in the very same way that you and I do, right? Jesus didn't walk on the clouds. He walked on the ground just like you and I do. He ate and, and He did all the things just as you and I do. He dealt with many of the same temptations that we do today. And even more importantly than the temptations that he dealt with, it's that he dealt with the same deceiver, Satan, that you and I deal with today. And he defeated Satan. He he, he dealt with the temptations by using Scripture to fight against Satan and the temptations that he was trying to bring. And that sets the example for us that when Satan tries to tempt us or, or come against us, we can stand on God's Word just as Jesus did. There was nothing in, in those moments that was special about Jesus that that kept him from falling into those temptations other than the fact that he was standing on God's Word. He was standing on the truth of God's Word and what it says and what it teaches. And that's how he was able to overcome temptations. And that's the same way that you and I can learn to overcome and deal with the temptations that we face in our lives. Right? Jesus showed emotions. He became tired and hungry and, and angry at times. But through all of those emotions, through everything that Jesus went through, He leaned upon God and continued to spend time in relationship with His Father. He didn't do it alone. Over and over again in Scripture, it says that Jesus awoke early in the morning and He went to be with the Lord. Right? He went to spend time in community, in relationship with God His Father as well as with other people. But He knew that He had to spend time with God the Father. And that's the same for you and I today. We have to spend time with God the Father as well as with one another. And then we looked at some of the miracles. And so from the first miracle when He turned the water into wine at the wedding in Cana to healing many people and the miraculous signs that Jesus performed over His time here on earth, they were all done for one reason. One reason alone. To point people... To the Father, he said that the works and signs and wonders will be done to point people towards the Father. Just as the devil tried to tempt um, him to abuse his power, to abuse his, his abilities in the wilderness, Jesus refused to do so because he wanted to bring glory to God. He wanted to point other people towards God, and other people would be able to do what Jesus did. He set the example as he always does. And how to deal with temptation. Everything Jesus did was very intentional in pointing people towards God and the redemption that would be offered through his life that was eventually going to be offered up for us. That's why you know we're so big here about being intentional with our time and what we pour our time and our energy into. Because we only have so much time, right? We only have so much energy and so much so many resources. We have to be intentional with where we place our time and our energy and our resources so that what we're doing is pointing people towards God and who He is. or are pointing people towards the cross and the resurrection of Christ and what He did in offering Himself for us. We have to be intentional. I believe that as we look at the life of Christ, it becomes so clear to us that He taught us about how to live our lives. He taught us how to respond through temptation. And He taught us how to help point people towards God and who He is. Because God can do signs and wonders through you. God can do miraculous things through you to point people towards who He is. Right? That's one of the gifts of the Spirit is miracles. It's God working through people to point people towards who He is. If I can get the worship team to come back up this point. Maybe you're in here this morning... And you realize that, you know what, not only do I need to be more intentional with my time, I just need to be more intentional. I haven't even given my heart to the Lord. and I need to be intentional in saying, that's the first step in all of this, is intentionally giving my heart to the Lord and surrendering my heart to God and, and giving Him myself. That's the first thing you can do is to choose to accept Jesus in your heart and believe who He is, believe that He died for you, that He paid for your sins, that He rose again three days later to defeat sin and death forever, to wipe the slate clean. God doesn't see your sins. He sees you as white as snow. He sees you as a son and daughter of His. He died for you. Maybe you're in here this morning and you've already made that decision to follow Christ. But you know that you just need to become more intentional in your time, in your resources, in your efforts, in your energy, in what you're doing. Because you you sit there and if you're honest, you're going, you know what? There's a lot of time or energy or resources that I'm putting towards other things. And maybe they're even good things. But they're not what God is wanting to do. Right? Because we can fill up our time with all kinds of good things there's a difference in a good thing and a God thing so are we being intentional in God's things are we being intentional in good things that we can do I'm not asking anyone to, to raise their hand or, or to respond in that sense but just a question for you to think about is my time my efforts my resources are they being placed the right spots that are pointing people towards God that are bringing glory to Him that are pointing people towards the cross or have I become wrapped up in good things that maybe although they add to stuff they're not necessarily pointing people towards God in the way we thank you Father that there is one thing that i truth of your word, the promises of your word, your scripture, they remain forever. And just as, as Jesus understood that, and he clung to your word, he held on to your word to, to fight against Satan and the temptations that he brought against him. God, I pray that you would help us to always remember that your word always remains true that it's sharper than any double-edged sword, that it splits bone and marrow, that, God, that it can penetrate anything that Satan tries to throw at us. There is nothing that God's Word cannot defeat. There's nothing that God's Word cannot come against. And, God, I pray that You would help us to have that zeal and that hunger and that passion for Your Word, that we would know Your Word and be able to to use Your Word when we have to fight against the temptations of this world and against the spiritual battles that we face. That we would be able to recall and know what Your Word says. God, I just pray that You continue to work through us as we come into the Easter season. Father, help us. as This is a time where, where people may be more open to the Gospel than they are any other time of the year. Father, I pray that You work through us. We pray for those opportunities God to share the gospel to share the good news to share what you've done not only in our lives but God what you've done for them and what you desire to do in their lives God we thank you this morning for who you are help us to continue to be your hands and your feet the Chisholm the Iron range, and around the world Father we just pray now as we go out that you keep us safe on the roads Father help each of us to get home and- in our time and our efforts and our energies, God, may they be directed towards you and the things that you have for us to do. We thank you again. In your holy and precious name we pray.